Good morning on this Resurrection Sunday. My name is Tony and I'm pastor here at LEFC. We welcome you on this special morning that is truly celebrational. This has been surreal times for us all. For some of us, it's just been an inconvenience. For others, it's been a time of great frustration. For some, it's been a point of suffering. Some have lost loved ones. Some have sicked loved ones. And some are just simply at a place of fear that has gripped them. Others are struggling with the loss of a job, loss of income, or maybe you're that person that is having to make difficult decisions concerning other people's jobs. Well, we've been in a series at LAFC for the last several weeks out of the book of 1 Peter, written by the apostle shortly after what Nero's reign began. And during that time, there was a lot of suffering. In fact, at the beginning of Nero's reign, while he was mostly an egotistical Caesar at the time, he truly began to show his colors as his adversaries were suddenly disappearing. And then over time, it was a clear vendetta on Nero's part to eradicate the church of Jesus Christ. And so as a result, in the time when Peter is writing this book, He is writing to a church that is only beginning to see the signs that a great suffering is coming. Because it will be soon that Nero himself will begin to attack the church with a ruthless energy. And in that time, while Peter is writing this towards the end of his lifetime and just before Nero is about to uh, kill and martyr many Christians, Peter is preparing the people for this kind of suffering. They were suffering at this time while he's writing it, but not like what is going to happen. And so if you can relate to a season where things aren't what seem to be fair and maybe unjust, this is the type of season that Peter was writing to. So in the text today, in 1 Peter chapter 2, as he's writing this to a group of people that, again, are about to enter a deep season of suffering, he says to them, I want you to live like a foreigner or a stranger in this land. Now, they may have grown up in the part of the world that Peter was writing to, and they, and they may have known the culture and, and, and even embraced the culture. But he said, if you are going to follow after Jesus, you're going to have to live like a foreigner and stranger, as those the people around you don't understand why you're so different. They look and they say, you sound the same, You look the same like you belong here, but you behave like you're from some other place. And that is what Peter is inspiring his people to do. And in the text, he says a few charges. He says, first of all, we're to respect other people. Then he says, to love then those who are within the church, those who have followed after Jesus Christ. And then we're to fear God and to honor our earthly authorities. Now, that was a tough one because in their culture, a lot of the earthly authorities weren't something to be respected. And some of those earthly authorities were slave masters. And so for many of the believers at that time, they were slaves and they had abusive masters. And they're being told by Peter to live like a foreigner and a stranger that is different and do so by respecting others and honoring those that are in authority over you. Now, this may seem to be a strange message for an Easter Sunday, but bear with me for a moment. Peter is painting a picture where he is going to get to the message of the cross. 
But he's saying to a group of people that do not have very many figures that they can respect in their culture to say, we're to honor them and respect them. And Peter says, yes, because the ultimate goal for anybody who would follow after Christ is to give glory to him, to give glory to Jesus and to give glory to the Father God. And this is best done by living in submission to them, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to those who are in earthly authority type of roles. That is a challenge, and it's a pretty tall order from Peter. So listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, when he speaks to the slave. He says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, uh, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but to those who are harsh as well. For it is commendable if somebody bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good, then endure it. This is commendable before God. To this then he says, you were called because Christ suffered for you. Because he left you an example and therefore you should follow in his steps. So he speaks to the slave and says, not only am I asking the general public to respond to the emperor or to a governor with respect and honor, but he says to the slave, even if your slave master is abusive, you should submit to that authority and do so with respect. Does this seem fair for Peter to say such a thing? To say to a slave that is being abused that you should respect and submit to that authority? Again, the whole goal of this is that Peter is establishing a new platform for the church by which we can glorify God and, and spotlight him so that others can see that God is about changing lives. So in this final verse that I read in verse 21, it says, take for instance, Christ's example. He suffered for you. Was it just for Christ to suffer for you in your place? No, but yet we're called to follow the example of Jesus, where he exemplified what it means to submit to God first and foremost, and even then to submit to unjust and unfair rulers. Consider the day of his suffering. He had already gone through an illegal court among the Jewish leaders. And then he was brought before the, the Roman uh, governor at that time and was given questions that wouldn't allow him to find freedom. Instead, he continued to be entrapped. But Jesus took a path that still submitted to their authority because he was ultimately submitting to the authority of God. And so Christ who suffered for you and I sets the example of what it looks like to submit and respect to an authority that is being abusive and unfair. And we're called, according to verse 21, to follow that example. In fact, he says, walk in his steps. Peter challenges us to walk as Jesus walked. Do as Jesus did. Let's continue on in verse 22 and 23 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter, where he says, He who committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. 
When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So Jesus was innocent. He had committed no wrongs. He had lived his life from his early childhood all the way to this point of his death, having committed no sin. So therefore, any punishment of any kind would have been unjust. In fact, not only that, but death was something that did not have to happen for him because he was sinless. But yet, he who had committed no sins and no wrong was about to go through a brutal beating and a great suffering. As it says that in verse 23, in the, in the beginning of it, says that he was verbally abused, yet he didn't retaliate. Now, I have to be honest. When it comes to verbal abuse, I tend to be very sharp in return. If somebody is unfair towards me with their words, it's hard and very difficult for me to not respond with some form of retaliation. But yet, as Jesus stood in that unfair, unlawful trial with those Jewish leaders and then stood before Pilate, the Roman governor later, he didn't retaliate to any of the false accusations. He remained submissive to the direction of his father God. And he respected the protocols of all the leaders that were in front of him in spite of the unfair treatment. So he was verbally abused and didn't retaliate. And then it says he was physically harmed, yet he didn't threaten back. Now consider this. You're the son of God. You have the power of God at your fingertips. He could have called a legion of angels at any moment to abuse those who were abusing him physically. He could have threatened the armies of heaven against those mere legions that were around him. But yet he withheld that authority. He did not use that which he could have to defend himself. He continued to submit to the will of God, which was to die for the sins of mankind. And he, so he committed himself to that death. And he did so with respect and honor towards those who were around him who were being unjust towards him, who were verbally abusing him and physically beating him. Jesus proved that a person could be in the will of God, be greatly loved by God, and still suffer unjustly. That was a quote by Warren Wearsby, one of my favorite commentarians. That yes, it is true that somebody could be fully honoring of God, fully loved by God, and yet still experience injustice. Have you ever felt that? You feel, feel like it's been unfair? You watch those around you that may be at work have been cutting corners, not being honest with their timesheets, not being honest with the things that are really going on, and yet they get promoted and you do not? Perhaps your company's had to downsize right now, and you are the one left on the outside looking in, wondering why is it that I was the one that was cut, and some of those that maybe with less character are the ones that retain their jobs. Do you feel unjustly treated? Jesus experienced that as well, fully abused, verbally and physically, and yet he did not retaliate, yet he did not threaten. He took the high road because he was submitting to a higher authority God himself, and then even respecting those who were not respecting him. That is a higher plane. 
And that is a high challenge for any of us to be able to pursue. Yet that's what Jesus did on what we call now Good Friday. He suffered greatly at the hands of many. And yet he did not retaliate. He did not threaten. He trusted the ultimate authority of God. Because God said, I need you to do this for the sake of mankind. Let's continue on in verse 24 of this chapter. And he says that after they had hurled their insults and, and he did not retaliate and he suffered and made no threats in spite of their beatings, it says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Wow. So Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross so that you and I could die to sins and live for righteousness because by his wounds, you and I have been healed. So he who was sinless took on the sins of others. He bore our sins. He literally allowed that which was being burdened upon us to be put upon him. The things that we had done by our own intention and, and corrupt nature, he then took the punishment of those things and placed that punishment on himself. The consequences of those sins that would ultimately cause us to be destroyed at the wrath of God is now all of a sudden set aside because it's placed on him and that wrath is satisfied. So he who had no sins became sin for us so that we could then experience the righteousness that he had. He lived without sin. He lived righteously. And that's something that you and I can't do on our own. There are a lot of good people on this earth, but there are no perfect people. As many funerals as I've been to and been a part of, every single person that has died, the, the funerals typically uplift the goodness of their lives. But rarely do we spend our time picking at the things that they weren't perfect in. And the reality is, none of us are perfect. All of us have sinned at some point. All of us have committed some kind of wrong at some point. And therefore, we've dissatisfied God. We've caused his heart to be broken at some point, and likely many times a day. Yet, in spite of our sins, God still loved us. And he sent his son Jesus to die for us because he could ultimately take the sins we committed and the punishment deserved for them and take it upon himself. And it says that literally he was wounded. On that Good Friday, he was wounded so that you and I and our wounds could be healed. What a beautiful story that ultimately those of us that carry all the scars of our mistakes and our sins... And some of those scars are still oozing with pain and shame. Jesus, by his wounds, heals ours and covers over a multitude of sins. All that accomplished on that Friday when this sinless man took upon the sins of the world, suffering verbally with the abuse that was being hurled upon him, Suffering, suffering physically because of the beating he was taking and then ultimately giving up his breath, dying 
so that ultimately our sins are paid for. So the best way I can describe this is that as Peter speaks to earlier in chapter 2, is that there's a glory that is going to come in the future. And part of that glory is that it's going to come in the future is the glory of the work that Jesus accomplished on that cross. And as a result, many people become saved by that one act. What a glory that there is because of his wounding, our wounds are healed. The best way to compare this in looking at the text is that you have Jesus in his innocence compared to our guilt. He then, in his innocence, took on our sins so that our sins could be removed. So you have the innocent Savior and a guilty people. You have him taking on the guilt of those people so that those people who are guilty become innocent. This same Savior, Jesus, is also righteous. It claims him as being fully righteous, always doing the right thing. As compared to those of us that try really hard to be good and right all the time, only to find that we fail regularly. So in his righteousness and our lack thereof, he then through his righteous sacrifice, this perfect sacrifice on the cross, makes it possible for us to be seen as righteous, fully righteous in the eyes of God. And then lastly, when it talks about his wounds, you're talking about Jesus who had no scars from the sins of his past. Compared to us who have many scars from our past, he then wounds his body so that our wounds could be covered. That is the beauty of the work of Jesus Christ, which then leads to the outcomes of such a work that was done on the cross. In verse 25, he says this, For you and I were once like sheep that had gone astray, but now we have become those who returned to the shepherd, who has become the overseer of our souls. So Jesus is seeking a sheep. You know, if he's the great shepherd and we're the sheep, he's looking for sheep that had gone astray, that had lacked purpose. And now he, as the great shepherd, is calling us back into the pen and giving us purpose and a place to belong. And on top of that, the protection of the great shepherd comes with it, where he says that he himself is becoming that overseer of our souls where he is protecting our souls. He is guarding our souls. That's something that you and I could never accomplish on our own. We couldn't die for the sake of another and hopefully even cover an inch of their sins. But yet Jesus, who had committed no sin, was able to accomplish the covering of the sins, past, present, and future, for generations This provokes my heart because when I think about all the things I've done to alienate myself from God, to think that God loved me before I would ever show any love towards him, that he would pay the ultimate sacrifice 
by sending his own son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me and to do so when I was rejecting him and rebellious towards him, I'm overcome to think that he would do that just so he could rescue me. And that's what Jesus does. He rescues people that are caught with the injustice of the world and sometimes with the just consequences of our own mistakes. And Jesus did this in the face of all that injustice, in the face of our lack of love towards him. He continued to pursue that which God had called him to, which is to be obedient unto death, death on the cross. But this is Easter Sunday. And this text speaks of what was accomplished on Friday, but it speaks to the life that comes. You see, Jesus did not stay in the grave. As what was predicted in the prophets hundreds of years before this moment, he resurrected on the third day and came back to life. So that not only do we have the coverage and the, and the sacrifice that, that eliminates our sin, debt, but he now gives us life that we can live with hope for eternity because he is not a dead savior. He is a risen one. And as a result, when death becomes my body or death might become yours, if we have faith in Jesus, then that death ultimately is arrested because his resurrection gives us life. And we get to look forward to hope for eternity, a spending life eternal with the Father who loved us and the Son who died to save us. Would you pray with me? Father God, it is in this moment that I am humbled on this Easter morning that you would go to such great lengths to show your love to a person and to many people who have despised you and rejected you and have sinned greatly. Our sins deserved the death that becomes us. But Jesus' sin had not sinned and his life did not deserve that death. But yet he did so, so that my wounds could be healed. And I say to you, Jesus, thank you for not staying in the grave because now you are that shepherd, the overseer of my soul. And so I can trust that you're working on my behalf. So I give my life to you anew today on this special day as I remember and we remember what you accomplished on that fateful weekend. So we celebrate you now for all that you accomplished that our wounds are indefinitely healed. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.
so we'd like to begin or end this service with this. A few questions. First of all, have you ever come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you ever made him Lord of your life where you said, Jesus, take control. You're the leader of my life. I accept the sacrifice that you did on the cross as payment for my sins. And I believe that that is the only means by which my debt can be satisfied between me and God. Have you ever come to that place and just said, Jesus, you have my life? If you have, would you be willing to tell that story with somebody that's in the room with you right now of when you made that decision? And if you have never made that decision, would you be willing to make that decision now and just say, Jesus, become Lord of my life. Forgive me of of all the sins I've committed. Change me and make me new. Let your life become under construction like what my life has been over the last several years. It's continually seeing the work of God and taking this person that's committed so many wrongs and now making things become more right. That's what I love about what Jesus does is he satisfies between us and God, the debt. And so now it's about enjoying it and getting to experience the freedom of God's work in our lives. The second question I'd like to ask and for you to ask between each other in your houses right now or wherever you're at is to ask what wounds have been caused by others or caused by your own mistake that you need Jesus to heal? Some of us have known Jesus for a long time and we've had that relationship, but some wounds continue to fester. What wounds have you experienced at the hands of another or by your own mistakes that you could utilize somebody praying over you and praying for you? And lastly, how does the example of Jesus, in light of the verbal abuse he experienced and the physical abuse and the unjust injustice that he experienced before these people, yet he showed respect, he didn't retaliate, he didn't threaten, what can we learn from him that can challenge us in our daily living, especially right now, on how to live in a manner that glorifies God more than retaliating from out of our own flesh? It's a big challenge to live as Jesus did and to walk in his steps. But what I've discovered is that even while it might be more difficult up front to make those decisions to walk as Jesus did, in the end, I discover it leads to greater ease because of the way you're now living life because you don't live out of fear or shame of making the mistake. Jesus is giving us guidance on how to live a life that is free from guilt and shame. So wherever you're at, watching this or listening to this, consider how Jesus might change your life and be willing to talk about this with somebody else that maybe is with you right now. From all of us here at LEFC, we say to you, Happy Easter on this day of celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. God bless. Stay safe. We're praying for you. Amen.